Hello, this is Brian Lane, lead pastor of FAM Church, and this is our podcast. On Sunday, we started a new series called This Is Us. Join us for the next few weeks as we talk about who we are as a church. All right, well, good morning and welcome once again. And uh, this morning, we are starting our new series called This Is Us. All right, and this message this morning is a foundational message. And a lot of people, thank you, um, don't like foundational messages because they're kind of boring. All right, the youth like boring. That's good to know. But it it lays the foundation for the stuff that we're going to talk about for the other two weeks of this series. And so so that's what this is going to be. So we're not going to be digging deep into any scripture this is necessary um, in order to, for the next two weeks, to make sense. And the, the title is based on the TV show with the same name. Anybody in here fans of the TV show This Is Us? Anyone? Anyone? No one. Okay, a couple of people. I got a couple of hands in here. Uh, a couple of people like that show. And, uh, um, and so let me just give you a snapshot. Like, I don't know much about the show. It was an hour long, and that's way too long for me to watch any TV show. So I tried, and I just couldn't do it. But uh, here's, a, here's kind of the premise of the show. The series follows the lives of siblings, Kevin, Kate, and Randall, and their parents, Jack and Rebecca Pearson. The show takes place in the present and uses flashbacks to show the family during various moments in the past. Kevin and Kate are the two surviving members of a triplet pregnancy born six weeks premature on their father Jack's 36th birthday in 1980. Was anyone else born in 1980 in the room today? All right, we got a couple of 1980s babies here. All right. One of the three triplets is stillborn. So believing that they were meant to have three children, um, Jack and Rebecca, who are white, decide to adopt Randall, an African-American child born on the same day and brought to the same hospital after his biological father abandoned him at a fire station. Unfortunately, tragedy hits the family as Jack dies when the children are 17. And so most episodes feature the storyline. You've got something that's taking place in the present, flashing back to something that takes place in the past. And you may be saying to yourself, well, that's really interesting, but what on earth does this have or could possibly have to do with Fam Church? Well, I'm glad you asked, okay? So here's the premise of the show. See, what the point of the show is this. The things that happened in the past come to define the things that happen in the future. Okay, the things that they go through, the, 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 the activities, the events, the experiences they have in life come to flash forward into the future and have it speak directly into what's going on. And like one of the shows, uh, one of the episodes called The Pool, um, you've got one of the kids almost drowning in the pool because his parents were too busy paying attention to the other two kids. Uh, I believe it was Kevin who almost drowned in the pool. And, and because of that, it leads to things later in his life. Or, or Randall, uh, in this same pool scene is where the family family is first confronted with racism, okay? And so, so Randall, in the present, he's living in a, in a nice suburban neighborhood that's predominantly white, and he finally gets connected back together once again with his father, who had abandoned him when he was a child. His father was an addict, had lots of issues, problems. And so his father was in his predominantly white neighborhood. He decided to go for a walk. As he was out going for a walk, the security guard at the gate stopped him and questioned him. And, then, and, uh, and when, uh, when Randall found out about this, he went to the situation and he apologized for his father walking in the neighborhood. And his father got really mad, which led to a discussion between the two of them about what their experiences have been in regards to race. And so what had happened at that pool ended up flashing forward into the future. And here's the deal. Many times when it comes to churches and other organizations, what we do to move forward into the future is we look into the past. 
There was a story told by Time magazine about the United States preparing for World War II. This, was a real, this is really interesting, okay? So the United States, it's the 1930s in World War II. They can see the handwriting on the wall that Germany is not going to stop, that Germany is getting ready to fight another war. And so the United States, because of the Great Depression, a lot of the military had been gutted. They had gotten rid of their, their primary force of fighting back then was called the cavalry. And it was men on horses riding into battle. And so what, what happened was is the, the, the army got rid of all of their horses because they couldn't afford to maintain this, these horses during the 1930s, during the Great Depression. Well, they see this war quickly approaching and they say to themselves, we've got to rebuild the cavalry. We've got to take care of this. We've got to get our army built back up because we are going to be going to war again. And so what did the U.S. military do? They went out and bought literally tens of thousands of horses. There was one problem with this philosophy, and that was this. The Germans also were building a cavalry, but their cavalry was made of something completely different. It was made out of tanks. And what ended up happening was how foolish a tank going against a horse showed up when Germany invaded Poland. Germany basically rolled Poland over. 35 days, took out the whole country, over a million-man army, because their tanks were going up against horses. And so the United States went and saw that they had purchased all these horses for nothing because they were looking to fight a war that had happened 30, 20 to 30 years ago, and that's how they were determining how they were going to fight this current war. They said, you know, we need to do what we did back then to move things forward, and that's what we do in churches, isn't it? We say to ourselves, gosh, we got to move this church forward. we got to get this church headed in the right direction, and so we'll think, and we'll look back into the past and see, when did the church have its greatest times? What were the things that the church was doing that really brought excitement, that brought energy, that brought people, that brought all of the stuff that we're looking for, and we do those things in hopes that they will reach this generation. See, we're doing the same thing that the U.S. Army did in preparing for World War II. We are buying and putting horses out there when people around us are rolling around in tanks. We cannot look backward and let what we have done in the past define us. Yes, in the past the church has had some great years, but we can't keep looking back there. And I know what a lot of people are saying, yeah, but I, I really liked those years. You know what? I really liked the 1980s. Okay? I love the 1980s. Okay? If I could go back in time, I would go back to 1986. Y'all know what happened that year? I got a theme weaving through the last several weeks. Anybody possibly? So think back to music that I've been playing. What happened in 1986? Bon Jovi released Slippery When Wet. All right? Can you guys work with me here? All right. But that's where I would go back to. But the reality of life is this. We cannot go backwards. It's just not possible. I'm sure there's some of you that are older that would love to rewind time and be back. You would say, you'd look at me and go, man, I'd want to be your age again. And I'm looking at people 20 years younger than me and going, man, I want to be their age again. You know what I'm saying? But we can't. Life keeps moving forward. Change is a part of life. There's nothing we can do to stop it. And the people that we are trying to reach for Jesus are changing. They are not only changing, they are changing fast. 
And this is why so many churches are dying here in America. They're looking backwards, trying to do what they did in the past. Meanwhile, the world has sped right by them, looking at them going, what is this irrelevant organization doing? And I don't want our church to get sped by. I don't want us to get caught in the past, and I know the change is not fun. And for many people, they want everything to stay the same, but it's not possible because everything is moving forward faster than it ever has before. And because of that, God has called us to move forward. God has called us to look ahead, not behind. I mean, think about what looking behind has done to people. We could turn back to Genesis chapter 19. In the story of Sodom and Gomorrah, when when, uh, God is getting ready to strike the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah because of the craziness that was going on in those cities, he, he rescues Lot from out of the land and he tells Lot and his wife and his children to run from the city and don't look back. Now there's lots of lessons we could take from this text, but one of the lessons that I see in that is that when God is saying, move forward, It's a waste of your time to look back because all it can do is hurt you. And this isn't the only place in the passage of the Bible where we see people looking back and it causing trouble. 1 Kings chapter 19, Elijah is about ready to go on to heaven. God's going to take him up into his presence and he needed someone to replace him as the prophet over the nation of Israel. And so God had brought him to a man named Elisha. And Elijah was out working his fields and plowing his crops. And Elijah shows up there and says to Elisha, come on, come with me. I'm gonna, we're going we're gonna to become, you're going to become the next prophet of Israel. And so as Elisha is standing there, he says, hey, wait a minute. First, let me go back to my house and take, say goodbye to my mother and father and all of that stuff. And then I'll come with you, Elijah. Elijah said to him, hey, bro, if you want to go back and say goodbye to your parents, that's all good. See you later. I'm out of here. And so what did Elisha do? He was plowing, he killed all of his oxen, he started a big fire, burnt all of the oxen as a burnt offering, and then went off and followed Elijah. See, he didn't look back. Looking back would have cost him the place of being the prophet over the nation. God was saying the only place you can look is forward if you want to be the man. Even in the pages of the New Testament, we see this. I mean, after Jesus had risen from the dead, where did he go? He went to go visit with some of the disciples. What were these disciples doing? Peter and James and John and Andrew, they had gone back to their fishing business. They had gone back to where they had come from, to where Jesus had called them out of. They headed back there. And Jesus showed up there and he basically told them, look guys, You've got a new calling. You're going to be fishers of men now. It's time to stop looking back at your boats. Time to stop looking back at that lake. And it's time to move forward into what I have for you in the future. I've got bigger plans, but you've got to trash these boats and follow me. They stepped away from fishing and became part of a team that advanced the message of Jesus throughout the known world. And for a church and follower of Jesus, we have a mission. God has given us a mission. The mission is still the same. Okay, and you're saying, well, I thought you said we can't look backwards. we got to look forward. It's how we accomplish the mission that's different. I mean, think about it. The mission of the U.S. Army was still to win the war. 
That was their goal. That was their point. That was their purpose. They were just accomplishing it in a different way by changing their strategy. The church, we have a mission. It's our mission statement. What we communicate here about uh, FAM Church is connecting people to Christ. And it means regardless of their backgrounds, regardless of how vile and terrible a sinner they may be, FAM Church is a place where people can come and be connected with Christ. But here's the thing. It's not just the church's mission. It should be the mission of everyone who's a follower of Christ. It should be our life story. Why? Because as a follower of Jesus, we need to go where Jesus went and do what Jesus did. See, that's what being a follower of Jesus is all about. It's emulating his life. It's about looking at Jesus' life, about looking at his mission and doing exactly what he did. Jesus told us his mission um, In Matthew 28, verses 19 and 20, and it says this. It says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And some of you may have heard that and said, well, that verse is talking about discipleship, not about what you are talking about. Well, here's the problem. See, we assume that discipleship And telling people about Jesus are two separate things. But they are not two separate things. See, a true disciple of Jesus is one who actually shares and communicates their faith. You are not a full, you are not a complete disciple unless you are a person who is sharing your faith with others. I mean, that's what the early church was about. When you look at the book of Acts and see what the church did, I hear so many people say, man, wouldn't it be great to go back to the book of Acts? Well, see, when we went, if we were to go back to the book of Acts, it wouldn't be all of us sitting around in a church like this all the time listening to people preach. They were out there on the streets. They were out there telling people. Jesus became a part of who they were, everywhere they went, everything they did, the people they came in contact with, they constantly shared Jesus. Yes, discipleship is learning what Jesus taught, which is kind of how we define it, but it's also about doing what Jesus did and fulfilling the mission that Jesus gave. And that mission is Jesus came to reach the lost. And this struggle has been around for a long time. It was evident even in Jesus' day. In the book of Matthew, chapter 23, Jesus is having a conversation with a crowd that it gathered, and it seemed to have a lot of religious leaders in it, and Jesus says this to them. I'm going to be reading Matthew 23, verses 1 through 4, and uh, it'll be on the screen behind me for you to follow along. It says this, Then he said to the crowd and to his disciples, Teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach." They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. So what's going on here? So the Pharisees, Jesus comes into this crowd of Pharisees, and he basically tells the people, look, here's the deal. These religious leaders that you are sitting there listening to teach you about the Bible are not taking that stuff and applying it to their lives. They are not living out what they're telling you. And that's a problem, Jesus says. Because if we get down to verse 13, Jesus calls those people something. He calls them hypocrites. 
And see, this is where this whole idea of hypocrisy comes from, is that we're, Jesus, we're, we're listening to the teachings of Jesus, we're reading our scriptures, but yet we're not taking it and moving it into our lives. Church, if we're going to be true disciples of Jesus, true followers of God, we need to take the words of, that Jesus has spoken and live them out. Because see, one of my greatest frustrations in life is when I get up here on a Sunday morning and I deliver a message and people come up to me after service and say, oh, that was a good message. That was a great message. Oh, I, I love that message. That's good. I mean, it's not that I hate you guys saying that to me, but the problem is, if that word doesn't go from coming in here to leading to action out here, it was a waste of our time. You see, in America, we have got this consumer mindset where we consume everything. It doesn't matter what it is. The word of God. A lot of believers consume massive amounts of the word of God. I'm no different. You know, I've got, I've got two different uh, Bible study plans in my phone. Oh, I got a third one now. Uh, Sandra uh, added me to something uh, yesterday. But so I've got three Bible studies in my phone. I listen to two different pastors' messages every single week. Plus, I spend time preparing two messages every single week. I'm taking in a whole lot of the Word of God. And it becomes a problem when I take this Word in and it just stays in here. And it doesn't come out here, over there, over there, or over there. It's very problematic. you got to think about it like this. Think about the Word of God as spiritual food for our spiritual man. Okay? So let's look over at our bodies. So what happens to our bodies if we consume and consume and consume food, but we do not get exercise to burn that stuff off? We gain weight, right? Because we're consuming more than our body is putting out. The word of God is the same way in our spiritual lives. We are consuming and consuming and consuming God's word, but that word that we're taking in, is that being burned off in spiritual energy, in us taking those words that we are hearing, in us taking those words that we are studying and moving them outside of our body and into our life and into those around us? Because when we don't, we become spiritually overweight. The more spiritually overweight we become, the more like the Pharisees and religious leaders we become. And we need to reverse this in our lives so that we are not the hypocrites that Jesus spoke of in this text. Jesus has given us a word, his mission. How we phrase it, as I already said, is connecting to people to Christ. That's what we are called to do. This is the thing that hasn't changed. Now, how we live that out has changed, and we're going to tackle that in the next coming weeks. But this mission is, in critical, this mission is critical and important. And to make this mission possible, there are several things that I want to say to us as a church that we need to understand and realize going into this. The first one is this. Time is short, hell is real, and people we know are going there. That should really bother us in this room. But I feel so often... Believers just are like, meh, just part of life. You know, it's, it's okay. Or we think to ourselves, well, hell, that's not the politically correct thing. And well, let's see, God, God's loving, right? And so God won't, won't really send someone to hell. 
God's not really sending someone to hell in the first place, okay? Let's, let's make this clear. Some people are choosing to go there, okay? They are saying to themselves, and this is how I picture the whole thing of hell, because it's really hard to put a nail on when you read the scriptures. But what, I'm, what I picture in my mind is this. Somebody in our life right now, we are making a decision about our eternity. Either we live for God now, and then we live with God later, or we say to ourselves, I'm going to live apart from God, and God says, well, because you want to live apart from me, I will, you can have that for all of eternity, live separated from me. See, in my mind, the picture that I get of hell is this. It's just a place where we're eternally separated from the presence of power and power of God, and that's what makes it such a place of suffering. Because God's presence is nowhere to be found, nowhere to be seen, nowhere to be felt, nowhere to be experienced. And that's what makes it such a place of torture. But we live in a society that tries to keep people from experiencing the consequences of their decisions, don't we? I mean, everywhere you look, every time you turn on the news, you hear of parents trying to, uh, trying to keep their kids from the consequences of poor and bad decisions that they make. You know, like whether it's uh, uh, killing someone in a car accident and the parents trying to keep the kid from doing any sort of jail time or you've got the, the school teachers in the room, the parents that uh, their kids don't do their homework and as they're getting ready to get a C or a D, they come begging you for extra credit. Oh, please give me extra credit so that I can get this grade up when I didn't do my homework. And all too often, our compassion says, okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I'll give you that. I didn't get that kind of compassion. I always had to live with the consequences of not doing my homework. But that is not considered compassionate these days. And there are many people out there that think God is that way. If he really loves us, he won't allow anyone to be separated from him for eternity. See, God doesn't work that way. I'm not saying this to scare anyone, but sometimes the truth is scary. We need to know Jesus doesn't want that to happen, but it's our role as the church, to make a difference, to make sure that does not happen. The second thing that we need to realize is that we need to understand that the church is not about us. Churches that have been around for a while at some point go through a mental shift where the people who come there believe that the church is there for them and their needs. It becomes a country club for those who follow Jesus to hang out at and have things they want happening going on at the church. See, this is what the religious leaders of Jesus' day were expecting of Jesus. We see this uh, when Jesus enters the town of Jericho in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And this is what happened there. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him. Since Jesus was coming that way, When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, look, Lord, here and now I give give half my possessions to the poor, and if I have cheated anyone out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. It says people began to mutter. 
Why did they begin to mutter? Because Jesus, instead of going to the important religious leaders and religious people like anybody, any good or famous rabbi would do, Jesus started a ministry to the tax collectors. And that wasn't meeting their needs. They all wanted the famous Jesus to hang out with them, to spend time with them, to minister to them, but Jesus went to someone else. And Jesus explains why he did this in another part of Luke. In Luke chapter 5, Jesus tells the people, look, it's not the healthy that need a doctor, it's the sick. Jesus was hanging out with the tax collectors and prostitutes and other shady characters, and he was ministering to them because they were the ones that needed Jesus the most. Now, you may be saying to yourself, wait, I need Jesus. Yes, we need Jesus in this room. Some of you maybe need a lot of Jesus right now. And I'm not saying that everything that happens in the church should be focused only on those outside of the church. But the point that we're making is this. What we like and what we want from the church is not a need that we have from Jesus. What do I mean by that? I've had some bizarre experiences since I've been the pastor of this church. (laughs) Phoenix is one of them. I had someone, we've had someone leave the church because they called me. I was in a location where I did not have cell service. For one week, I didn't even talk to my wife or kids during that week. But because I did not call them back, they left the church. I told them I didn't have cell service. They didn't care. They needed me, and because I didn't call them back, they were out of here. This is the place that a lot of us will get to, though. We look at our situation and say, oh, it needs to be about me and what I need and what I want and what I need out of a church. And Jesus is saying, no. You know who needs me the most? The sick. We're healthy in here. Okay, maybe saying to yourself, I don't feel healthy, but we are healthy. We've got the doctor already. He's working on us. He's taking care of us. He's ministering to us. I got some other stories. I just don't think I'll tell them. (laughs) We have to be able to see that those around us that are lost need more from Jesus than we do. Yes, all of us in this room, we need ministering to, and if something happens to you, we're going to be there for you to support you and lift you up and, and, and be by your side, but we can't focus on you. That can't be the focus of the church, because when that becomes the focus of the church, we become the country club that we talked about, and we die. We don't want to die. And then the third thing I have to say is if we live this mission out, the best days are not behind the church, they are ahead of the church. Some of you have been around for a while, some of you have seen some great things happen here at FAM Church in the past. God's moved in incredible ways. But what we need to stop doing 
is looking back and saying, man, those were some great days. Instead, we need to turn our eyes to the future and say, but there's better days up there. And not just better days up there. I want to see these better days happen so much that I'm going to do what I can do to make those better days happen. It's really frustrating to me when people say the church isn't this and the church isn't that and the church isn't this other thing. So I'm leaving. How about instead of saying the church isn't this, the church isn't that, it's not what it was back there, you say to yourself, hey, the church isn't this, but I can make that happen. I can make it so that the church can move forward and get to the better days. See, if you owned your own business, is that how you'd handle your business? Yeah, the better days were back there. That future sucks. I'm just going to sit here. Would we do that? Absolutely not. We would say to ourselves, you know what? I know there's better days ahead. I've just got to do something to get there. And if we as a church will have that same mentality, that same attitude and say, you know what? Better days are ahead and I'm going to do my part to try and get to that place. We are going to get to that place much faster. And we're going to get there a whole lot faster than people standing there with their arms crossed saying, you ain't got us back to that yet. That's never going to get us anywhere. Let's dig in. Let's look for the best days. Let's move forward. Let's do what we can to fill the empty spaces in this room. Because it's our church. And our God wants to make a difference with our church. But we have to let him do that through us. Not just through me. Not just through myself and Pastor Lisa and Pastor Becca, but through everyone who calls Fam Church home. Make connecting people to Christ your personal mission in life so that the church can see those best days that God's got waiting for us up there if we will just all get together and move forward and do what we are called to do. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us on the FAM Church Podcast. FAM Church is here to connect people to Christ. If you live in or are visiting the Lakeland, Florida area, we would love for you to join us on Sundays at 1030 a.m. You can also check us out online at myfamchurch.com. Thank you again and have an amazing day.